Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, this is Rob Nichols. From Fly Me to the Moon, you're listening to the Morton's Heritage Railway podcast. Absolutely. They said it was not going to return, but it has in full glorious Technicolor and Steam Revival vision. Uh, Southern Steam Revival, that would be. Welcome back to the Morton's Heritage podcast uh, with respect to Steam and a fantastic bookazine. And guess what? We've got the fabulous editor extraordinaire of the Southern Steam Revival, Brian Sharp, with us in the studio. Brian, how are you? I'm not bad at all. It seems like months since we last spoke. I think it probably is. I know. <laughs> Far too and long. Here we are, but you've been extraordinarily busy on this particular area because uh, this particular magazine, which I'm, I'm currently sort of fortunate enough to have a look at, the Southern Steam Revival, I've been reading it over the week. There's some amazing images that we've actually got here. But share with us, Brian, what's the Southern Steam Revival all about? Well, I had this idea that um, there's... Many hundreds of steam locomotives have been preserved and um, they've now in many cases been running longer in preservation than they were in real mainline service. And um, although their history in real steam days is very, very well documented, um, what's happened to these engines since they were bought for preservation is not really documented satisfactorily at all and I set out to put this right in a series of five bookazines starting with the southern one basically because it was the most difficult for me makes perfect sense I'm looking at the names the Bournemouth Bell the Golden Arrow the Night Ferry and the Atlantic Coast Express we don't get those magical names these days do we really no we? Um, we only do very slightly in so far as the Flying Scotsman gets revived and occasionally they'll name a train the Royal Scot mm. but in many cases if they name a locomotive for example and name it after a local newspaper or um, I don't know even a um, television programme like Top of the Pops well they're not really classic names are they like the Golden Arrow it sort of works in its own way. Now, one of the uh, new features we're going to be introducing to these podcasts is, of course, uh, features for the novice. You know, the novice—I won't say the novice train spotter because that carries with it anoraks and various other bits and pieces. There's nothing wrong with train spotting. We love it. We appreciate that. But folk who kind of—we think about seeing. When we were talking before the show, Brian, about how you've met folk who kind of go really into trains and steam things in the 1960s. And then, like, they had a family or various other things happened, and, and now they're coming back to it. Yes, it's quite surprising. I find this more from the magazine perspective. As deputy editor of Heritage Railway, we get letters in from readers, and um, they seem to know all about steam trains, but only up to 1968 when it all ended. Um, but they're coming back into it now in quite a big way, and... Um, Again, this is a reason for um, producing this series of bookazines, is to, to educate these people 
as to how we've arrived at the situation we're at today, where these um, various heritage preserved lines came from, the history of the return of steam to Britain's main lines. For example, there was no steam at all on southern region main lines between 1967 and 1986, which is an awful long time. And much of the southern steam revival, the actual southern region engines, tended to run north of London between the 60s and the 80s. One of the things that I found fascinating about this was in terms of the images, and of course you're responsible for a lot of those images yourself in many ways, aren't you? Well, that's an economic thing, really, in that we don't have much of a budget to um, buy people's pictures. But having said that, as I started to go into the picture research, um, every time I found that somebody got a particular picture of a particular historic event, he'd send me it, but he'd send me half a dozen others as well, and I'd look at them and think, well, I've got to use them. And um, we ended up um, really going down the road of using the best possible pictures we could get. Um, for example, the picture of um, Clan Linetes leaving London, taken from the top of a block of flats with St Paul's Cathedral and the whole city spread out in the background, which yeah. I think is such a classic picture and so difficult to get. Very much so. I mean, as I said, one of my own favourites, what are they doing? Describing pictures on the radio. Well, buy the bookazine. That's a little <laughs> clue. Uh, page 25, actually, the uh, P-Class 0602. Is that the right terminology? 0602? or is it 0602 number 1178-1178 on February 27, 2010 the Bluebell Railway operated trains only between Sheffield Park and Horsted Keynes to its 1963 timetable calling it Freshfield, Hollywell and Bluebell Halts, briefly carrying its Bowwaters livery as Pioneer the second P-Class, number 178 heads the Lions metropolitan coaching set and I just thought, this is just a magical sort of, I'm going to show Ian Mills who's also in the studio and will be sharing various thoughts on, on his sort of views on, on railways, etc. Ian, do you not think that's a wonderful image there? The, the sort of top of the page there. Yes, indeed. It's great, you know. And as I say, if you want to find out what we're looking at, buy the magazine. Uh, a book as Ian, I'd have to say. We'll tell you how to do that in, uh, in the time uh, uh, to come. But Ian, um, trains. Um, are you a, are you a, a, an aficionado of trains? I mean, I know mm. you're, you're co-presenter on the, uh, the Siren uh, 107.3 FM a breakfast show. Jeff Thompson's a massive fan of, of, of trains, uh, not with us today, but, but what are your own views on trains? Well, I love them, but I'm not too keyed up on trains. So obviously that book looks very favourable for me to find out a bit more about them. The reason why I do like trains, though, is... I have had the experience of going to Darjeeling on the toy train, which was a gauge four, I believe. And yeah, it's um, a two-foot gauge, um, yeah. narrow gauge line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I absolutely enjoyed it. It was it was going to Darjeeling, uh, the Himalayan railway, um, we, and I was fascinated with how they could keep it going, how it was maintained. Um, I know it was a toy train, but it seemed to just not a problem taking people all the way up to Darjeeling. It did take about six hours, though. And great tea as well, presumably. Um, but uh, I mean, from that point of view, globally, are there other countries, like as, as you just mentioned, the Himalayas, that didn't have that destruction that we did in Britain, the sort of post-beaching acts, or indeed the beaching acts itself, which lost so many trail train lines and things, which gradually seem to be coming back? I think Britain lost more of its railways than most countries. Having said that, Britain was way behind a lot of the world in terms of steam traction and kept steam a lot longer than countries such as well, the low countries um, America really was all diesel by 1960 um, whereas Germany with some fairly modern engines carried on with steam right into the 1970s um, but there haven't been the line closures um, in other 
countries, um, but there isn't the, the huge preservation scene that we've got in Britain. In America, yes, there's some very impressive um, preserved railways and some incredibly impressive engines, um, but unless they make money, they don't run. Um, there's not the volunteer scene that we have in Britain. I think Britons are a bit sort of maybe a bit madder than uh, natives of other countries. Eccentric, I think. Brian, eccentric is, but yeah, that's a better yeah, word. Slightly eccentric, uh, that point of view. Uh, and, and gender, I mean, obviously we'll be introducing uh, Sue Rice to, to the series as she, she comes along to uh, sort of share with us her, her views. We've got a couple of other uh, undergraduate students who, again, I think they're, they're a little bit trepidatious in terms of, I said, yeah, we want you to get involved with this podcast series on trains and various other a- areas. What kind of words of advice would you share? Or maybe even Ian, I mean, you know, you've had the Darjeeling experience. Is this something you'd quite like to explore some of the other sort of train areas? Because, I mean, you're a keen cyclist, so obviously mm. cycles, bicycles and trains can fit together very perfect, perfectly. Well, my experience of trains, I mean, I, I, I come from Birmingham, mm-hmm. and um, back in the 70s, late 70s, Birmingham Museum uh, in town centre had a lot of trains. I hear it's been moved, though. So all the trains and steam locomotives have been moved. Is it Derby or further afield? Um, no, the main engine in the Birmingham Museum was City of Birmingham, yes. um, which is one of Stania's um, LMS Princess Coronation class, the biggest, most powerful yes. express steam engines. Um, and there's been a lot of um, pressure to get that engine out of that museum and steam it again. It's one of the last express steam engines that the owners just will not allow to run um, because it's preserved. It's got its original coat of paint on it and we can't spoil that. Um, And there there is this contradiction between preserving things but a steam engine isn't something to sit in a museum. A steam engine is something that isn't a steam engine until it's running and pulling a train. And um, that engine did move from the one museum um, to the new think tank museum, they call it, where it's absolutely squashed in a corner behind a Spitfire and a double-decker bus. And this is not... That's going to confuse the engine, isn't it, really? I yes. mean, you know, so, you know, if you're sort of yeah, a train engine, you've got a Spitfire and a double-decker bus, you're going to think, what's happened to the neighbourhood? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's ironic. Listen, Chapter 2, the National Collection, even without the contribution made by private enterprise with invaluable assistance from Di Woodham, a good representative selection of southern steam power would still, still have survived. Now, Di is something you want to give a special mention to uh, for, for this one, Brian. Why is that? Now, Di Woodham had a scrapyard, Um in the mid-60s, or until the mid-60s, British Railways simply scrapped its own steam engines. Um, but when they got rid of so many in the beaching era and the dieselisation era that came at the same time, they simply couldn't keep pace with scrapping the engines, so they started selling them to private contractors. And Diewoodham was just one of many across the country who bought engines for scrap, But in his case, he also bought an awful lot of coal trucks. And um, he was so busy scrapping his coal trucks, he just left the engines. And um, eventually, somebody bought an engine from him in 1968, about a month after the end of BR Steam. And that opened the floodgates. Um, It was one that month, it was another one the next month. And in the end, all 228 engines that he'd bought for scrap but hadn't actually got round to scrapping were bought for preservation. Um... In the case of the Southern Railway, um, that more than doubled the total of preserved Southern steam engines and lines such as the Midhance Railway and the Swanage Railway could never have even dreamt of getting started without this supply of um, engines. Some of them didn't leave the yard till the mid-80s. They'd stood there right by the sea for 20 years. You can imagine the state of them. 
But they were basically sound underneath. The boiler and cylinders were sound. It was only the um, sort of sheet metal bits that had rusted away, and um, the vast majority have, have run again. Looking at the uh, Barry Scrapyard in 1975, and on, on the one hand, you think oh, this is quite a heartrending uh, image of uh, uh, the uh, Bluebell Railway uh, areas that were developing, etc. But in terms of preserving these locomotives, they've been remarkably hardy. Oh yes, I mean they were built to last. Um, they ran for 40 years in many cases. Um, what's sort of changed since real steam days is that they clocked up so much mileage that they went into the main works for an overhaul every six weeks or so in some cases um, and that overhaul would take ten days. Now they run for ten years before they're due for that overhaul because they're just not doing the same mileage. Having said that, other bits wear out quicker because they're not staying warm for so long. They used to run for two weeks at a time um, solidly. Now they only run every weekend and um, when an overhaul is due, some engines straight out of Barry Scrapyard took 20-odd years to restore. They do their 10-year stint, and they can take another 20 years. So, of course, it's a new generation that overhauls them. Um, and some people who bought a steam engine to restore, um, they only got it half finished before they died, in, in many cases. It was very sad, really. Mm. But possibly movie rights could be developed from that point of view. I mean, oh, I, mean, I can sense a, a line of that there. Looking through the contents of the Southern, Southern Steam Revival, uh, we've obviously got the Merchant Navy Pacific, we've got the Merchant Navy Pacifics, a uh, whole range of, of numbers from those, West Country uh, Pacific, the Battle of Britain Pacific, uh, the uh, Oliver Bullide. Why, why why, the names that we were using there? Why Pacific? Is it because they're peaceful? Is it because of the, the, the way that the, the oceans that they came from? What was, what was the rationale behind naming them? It's all about the geography of the United States. Um, we have the wheel arrangements. Um, the 462 is a Pacific. That's six driving wheels, four, a four-wheel bogey at the front and a two-wheel bogey at the back. Um, because it tends to be more mountainous on the western side of America, they use more 462s on that side, whereas on the eastern side they stuck with 442s which they called Atlantics and these names spread across to Britain we don't use all the American names um, like a 460 um, the Americans call a 10 wheeler we still just call it a 460 but that's where the Pacific and Atlantic names came from which are two of the best known uh, they're express engines of course uh, I suppose technically if we actually were carrying the American theme if we had a southern steam revival you'd expect to have some sort of gospel character in there saying I have seen the train and it has been saved <laughs> or perhaps not I'm going to give Ian a, uh, almost an impossible task now because I, I mean, I've had week, a weekend a few days to actually look over these kind of things but Ian I'm going to give you about 50 seconds maybe a bit more uh, to actually have a little perusal through uh, the Bookazine, the Southern Steam Revival. We're going to find out again how people can get hold of this copy. Uh, obviously, WH Smiths and other good news agents are available. Also, how you can possibly subscribe to the Bookazine. We're going to find out more from Brian Sharp about uh, the kind of areas he's, he's explored, what the sort of future is likely to entail. But, Ian, your task is to basically find a particularly favourite picture or image from that point of view. And let's see if Brian can explain it to us in, in you know, a nice sort of coherent routine. So, Brian, are you up for this? It's a bit of a challenge because Ian can be sort of quite deadly when he actually selects the random choice here. It's got um, a kind what, of randomizer. What I would point out is that you tend to have the smaller engines at the front and the larger, more modern engines on the main line are towards the back. Yeah. If that influences Yeah, this, this could be critical in terms of the decision. You go small at the front and dainty or slightly more robust and substantial at the back. Well, you, the one that caught me straight away was a mullard. 
shouldn't. Well, it does, doesn't it? Really? I mean, well, you know. yes, everybody's heard of Mallard because it's the year. Of yeah, and you, and, you, and you can go back and listen to the Mallard in a previous podcast because they're all up there, etc. But yeah, the Mallard. Ian, we'll leave you with that. I'll take a brief uh, break to actually promote shamelessly. Actually, another show on Siren. Uh, you're listening to the Morton's Heritage Podcast on Siren One Seven Point Three FM from, of course, the joys of Morton's heritage and more with Brian Sharp and uh, Ian Mills and yours truly, Alex Lefjuke. The Midweek Drive on Siren FM 107.3. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. This is who we are. Coffee house hermits from Lincoln, England. We're all travellers in space and time. With strange characters. And it's the one with the nose. I absolutely love her. And surprises galore. A free concert. Think of it as, as being sung to by Elvis Unusual discussion topics. Why would you want to give every child a water pistol? It was a bit like choosing between kittens and babies. That will make your ribs sore. You have really done your homework. That's what we call show business. Join the Midweek Drive team every Wednesday from 5 till 7 on Siren FM 107.3. Hi, this is Rob Nichols from Fly Me to the Moon. You're listening to the Morton's Heritage Railway podcast. Oh, so I think there is a Doctor Who episode which talks about the Orient Express actually going into space. Maybe it's just stretching belief just a stage too further. OK, the time has counted down successfully, and we now need to, as we're about to blow the whistle, wave the flags, etc. Ian, have you managed to locate a particular image or train or some sort of topic in the Southern Steam Revival Bookazine? I have indeed, right. and I've chosen the Battle of Britain Pacific number 34051, Winston Churchill. And you weren't pressurised in that choice at all, were you? Not at exactly. All. Just wanted to clarify that from that point of view. No, quite rightly so. So, Brian, what can you share with us? Is that a, a, a sort of completely random thing? You know, I wish you'd chosen something else. But what what sort of things come out of that particular area? Uh, Winston Churchill is an interesting engine, um, in that it's named obviously after um, former one of Prime Britain's Minister. greatest Prime thought, Ministers. So. Um, He's known and, to most folk, really. <laughs> He's known to most, yes. And it was the first of Bullard's Battle of Britain Pacifics. Now, in fact, the what they call the light Pacifics, um, which were very unusual engines and were express engines built by Bullard during the war when uh, really nobody should have been building express engines because we didn't need them then. Um, and they were also unusual in that they had steam-driven reversers, they had chain-driven, uh, yes, chain-driven valve gear um, and a sort of a streamlined casing, sort of, which didn't make them go any faster, it just made them easier to clean, which was Bullard's excuse for building them during the war. Um, the engine just lasted long enough to pull Winston Churchill's funeral train in 1965, um, and there is talk, in fact, that it wasn't the real engine, that the nameplates were swapped with one that was in slightly better condition, but we, we'll never know. Um, but the engine's never been steamed in preservation, which is a shame. Another interesting fact about the engine is that Winston Churchill was requested to go to its naming ceremony at Waterloo, but he was too busy. Um, presumably affairs of state were a bit more important than um, naming or unveiling the nameplate with his name on it. I mean, fascinating in every sense of the word. I think you're richly deserving of the official um, Siren FM applause. Actually, sounds more like somebody's actually letting off steam there, but never mind. 
The sound effects these days. Um, I mean, wonderful news, of course, because uh, in 2015, it's the 50th anniversary year, of course, of Winston Churchill's death, and uh, it's likely that the locomotive is going to be brought out, really, to, to do our original thing. Is that right, Brian, in terms of what we're it, looking for here, or is it, is, it, is, it, is it still sort of going to be withdrawn? Um, I don't think there's any moves towards um, steaming the engine. Um, it's owned by the National Railway Museum, who've had their fingers burnt a bit by Flying Scotsman and the cost of actually returning that one to steam. And I think they're, at the moment, um, in times of financial stringency, plus the fact that there's about a dozen identical engines preserved, many of which do run regularly. Um, so, yes, it... It will have a coat of paint and will no doubt be on display in various places, but uh, I don't think we'll see that one running. You mentioned cost. Is that a, a particular um, problem with respect to, to, to steam restoration in general? I mean, clearly we often sort of find at various shows, a Lincolnshire show and so on, that there are restoration groups that are actually looking to do that, and you need to raise capital somewhere along the line, so other than just lottery funding. Is, is that you know, something where constantly people are having to raise funds to exist? It's a huge problem now. The cost of restoring a steam engine or overhauling a steam engine that's complete and um, in reasonably good condition is now astronomical. This is partly because there's not the number of volunteers that there were in the 60s, but also health and safety regulations have been tightened up and tightened up, and everything has to be so documented that um, a person who's involved in restoring a steam engine will perhaps spend a quarter of the time actually getting his hands dirty and messing about with a spanner uh, and three quarters of his time doing the paperwork to um, fully document what he did with that spanner during the day and um, we really do have a situation where the heritage lines in particular are struggling to maintain a fleet of engines to keep their services going we talked about how people can get involved with this whole system, even if it's just a case of helping out as a volunteer or actually getting actively involved with, with various other things. What advice would you give Brian to somebody like Ian, for instance, who might just be thinking, oh, it's just nice little hobbies, things we can actually do with this. What, what, what should Ian or somebody in a similar position who might be listening to this think, yeah, I actually hadn't thought about that, but, you know, as it says, Southern Steam Revival sounds interesting. How do I get involved? Well, there's um, about 100 preserved steam railways in Britain, so there's one not too far from everybody body um they've usually got a volunteer liaison officer um just join the society make yourself known and um decide what you want to do um you can't all be engine drivers um and there's a lot of people aren't really cut out to be engine drivers it's a it's a particular sort of thing that not everybody takes to but you can be a guard you can be a ticket inspector or you can get involved as a volunteer either restoring the engines the coaches I did 30-odd years working on the track, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. It's fresh air and exercise. Um, yes, you get wet sometimes, um, but it's, it's a lot more... In- Railway track is actually far, far more interesting than you could ever imagine. Ian, I see you as more a ticket inspector or possibly a, uh, a kind of guard. Have you, have you sort of thought sort of those that appeal? Ian Mills, Inspector Mills? Well, I wasn't aware that you could volunteer at your services and do... I mean, I've, I've seen Chris Tarrant, and there's yeah. the um, 
radio producer who's also into trans uh, uh, people that'd be Pete Waterman yeah. exactly yeah. Yes. and from those celebrities I always thought well it seems, looks like a you have to buy the train buy the train exactly and, and you know you're at your average punter listening to, to the uh, Morton's Heritage Railway podcast might not have the capital to actually say I'm just going to buy a train <laughs> no um, there's only a select number of people can actually go and buy a train there's a, a very well known saying in um, steam preservation circles that um, you can make a small fortune out of owning a steam engine but you need a big fortune to start with and I think that was even Pete Waterman got his fingers burnt um, you know he bought he didn't just buy Flying Scotsman he bought um, obviously it was a hot engine clearly <laughs> yes he bought the British Railways Intercity Special Trains Unit which uh, on privatisation in 1994 um, which really meant that he was then going to run every mainline steam train in Britain mm. Um, but it was early days of preservation. Nobody knew what they were getting into, and um, and before it settled down, Pete was um, struggling a little bit. Um, but let's face it: even Rick Astley, Kylie Minogue, and Brother Beyond would have had difficulty actually getting that side of things there. And I will say Brother Beyond because people forget about them so easily these days. But still, <laughs> the harder they try, it's an eighties reference. Uh, so get involved with that whole thing. If you want to get hold of, obviously, a copy of the Southern Steam Revival, you can go to www.classicmagazines.co.uk. That's www.classicmagazines.co.uk. You might already be there. You might be listening to this podcast as a result of that, which makes perfect sense. Is there any other way in which people can get hold of these magazines? Brian? Um, generally speaking, they're Either. available from WH Smith's. Yep. Um, Morton's produces them basically for Smiths, but we do sell some ourselves. Um, you can phone Morton's um, on 01507 529 529. Um, customer Services Department will be only too pleased to help you. Professionalism from the beginning, editor onwards, from that point of view. So, what's the next stage then, Brian? A Southern Steam Revival. I can't say it's been put to bed completely because obviously it's, it's living, it's ongoing, etc. You said that the idea is to actually work your way around the country. What's the next project you're working on, even as we speak? Um, I'm hoping to finish the LNER Steam Revival in December. Now, the LNER Steam Revival is probably more interest to people in this part of the country, to be honest. Um, and it's a much more difficult one than the Southern Steam Revival because not many people could actually name a famous Southern Steam engine. Um, Winston That's Churchill is probably the, the nearest. Ian, can you name a famous Southern Steam engine? But, well, no, you see, no. so there we are. No. The Golden Arrow and the um, Atlantic Coast Express and the Bournemouth Bell, yeah, but they're, they're steam trains. Um, but um, the LNER had Flying Scotsman, it had Mallard, and it's now got the brand-new engine Tornado, which is even more famous than either of them. Mm. And um, these obviously justify several pages to <laughs> document so. their history. I would have thought so. Each. L-N-E-R is an acronym for? London and North Eastern Railway. Things crossed to Edinburgh, basically, the East Coast Main Line. Not not to be confused with GNER, which, of course, was another sort of line that we had. Runs on the same route. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's a strange word. And I do love, I say, the line that opens up Southern Steam Revival. Southern Steam did not die completely in July 1967. No, what railway was keeping it alive and much has been achieved since the early success of the Bluebell Railway. Ian, thank you for joining us on another one of these fabulous uh, steam-based podcasts, Southern Steam Revival. Has it piqued your interest? It has indeed. That's very good. That's that's positive. Brian, they said it wasn't going to happen, but we knew that through the fabulous offices of the amazing Joe, 
and others working within Morton's Heritage, we would get this podcast back online again. Hooray! Have you been uh, happy with how we've actually managed to, to take the, the train out again and put it back as well in an audio format? Absolutely, yes. And I look forward to doing the next one a little bit sooner once Selenyar is put well, to I'd, bed. I'd like to think so, because after <laughs> all, we can't get that reputation of these trains, you know, like buses, you know, suddenly there's sort of a huge gap and then two or three come along all at once. Yep. You've been listening to the Morton's Heritage uh, Railway podcast. You can also like uh, the whole thing on Facebook. Uh, you can go there. Do you have the Facebook sort of like, is just Morton's Heritage? Well, I'm sure you can you, you look at lines for that. Morton's Heritage will tell you their Facebook tweet about the whole thing as well. Uh, all the social networking from for that point of view. Um, we were speaking, Brian, about maybe, we talked about photographs, people actually listening to this, they fancy taking their own photographs. Maybe we could actually feature some photographers as well on the show. That would not be a bad idea, Ooh. actually, yes. It, it's, a, it's a sort of um, separate thing in itself, is railway photography. And, I like to um, think it's, it's a challenge we will rise to. <laughs> yes, it, people thing. think it's easy, but um, so much can go wrong because um, they don't stand still. Um, it comes at the time it's coming, or it doesn't come, um, and uh, the sun can go in, the smoke can blow down, somebody can stand in front of you. It's very, very difficult. And Brian, in so many ways, going from the Darjeeling trip that Ian described to us, you've described a philosophy of life there, much like, of course, Southern Steam Revival. Many thanks to Ian Mills and Brian Sharp, of course, uh, the editor of the Southern Steam Revival scenario and, indeed, fine uh, co-editor of a whole range of things for Morton's Heritage Railway. That's it. We'll be back again. Well, pretty much as soon as the train docks into the station. If you like trains, if you like vintage trains, then this is the podcast for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.